I'm greet each one in Christ's name this morning. Glad to be with you here this morning. Would have been very glad to listen to someone else, but uh, Brother Warren asked if we would share this morning, and I said I it it doesn't feel good to say no, so I uh, desire to be usable in the Lord's hands and. Uh, the sermon I plan to share this morning, I have titled, A Cry from the Wall. And uh, <clears throat> as I look down through sermons I've preached in the past, of which one would the Lord want me to share? This is the one that it seemed the Lord laid a burden on my heart for. And it's maybe a little of a, not as comfortable a sermon as some others. And, uh, but it just felt like that's where I should be. And so, this is a sermon I preached at home a little while back. But, uh, and the title comes from Ezekiel 33, 6 there. But if the watchmen see the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any persons from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. And so as leaders, we find a responsibility in giving warning of things. And it's interesting, the Sunday school lesson and the warning of false teaching. And you know, one of the scariest things about deception means that you're going into something here that you don't realize that's happening. And, uh, you know, when a person realizes you're making a wrong choice, then uh, you have something to work with. But, uh, you know, the world around us is far from God. It just seems like there's so many things that what used to be called right is now called wrong, and what used to be called wrong is now being called right. We see a tremendous challenge on the nuclear family. And, you know, the Lord puts things in place for a reason. And uh, there just seems to be a real attack on the nuclear family. Are we a light on on the hilltop? Are we showing forth in this dark world? Or are we miring around in the swamp with the others? And uh, kind of what brought this sermon about to me, a burden I had, was we've, well, I've been involved there at home for several years with a group of young men in an accountability group that were having moral purity struggles. And one of the young men ended up going to Fresh Start for eight months and, uh <clears throat> And that was a year and a half or so ago, but but Fresh Start came through our community. I think this last this last year, but they gave a really good program there. And I just through the one from going to from our community going there, I became quite a bit more familiar with the Fresh Start program and appreciate the work that they're doing and and uh, appreciated the program that they shared there at our church. But 
I guess the question come to me, you know, they're doing a good work, but how do we keep people, how do we keep our children from getting where they need this kind of help? How do we turn it a different direction from way back earlier? And um, it just seems like that the things that have happened around us is, is our children are much more exposed than used to be, and it's brought a lot more awareness of things that we weren't aware of when we were growing up. And, and some of these moral challenges are not new. In other words, they are old vices, things that people would get into. But technology, I don't normally take my phone to church, but technology has opened a whole nother window of awareness that um, our children are so much more aware. And talking to my dad the other day about he, I mean, this is a different angle, but he said he was 10 years old till he left the state of Illinois. And how many of us had 10-year-old children that have never left the state? You know, we've just, there's just a lot more awareness, a lot more around. That has its good sides, but it also has its negatives. And, um, and so this is a burden of my heart of how do we, I mean, we have all these young children there at home when Sunday school lets out. The children come from the front and there's, I don't know, 40, 50 children come out and I look at that and I say, how, how do we help them? And this is the burden that I have, but how to articulate it is something I think we need to work together with as a brotherhood. We'll see these children. Y'all's came from the back, so I didn't really see the children, but y'all have a lot of children here. There's so much potential for good with these little children, but there's also potential for heartache. And uh, so how do we cultivate openness with our children, yet stand against failure? In church life, how do we make it easy to confess our sins, but not normalize sin? As a dad and as a deacon, I've made so many mistakes that I hesitate to even speak on the subject. But we're in a battle, and we need to at least try. And uh, and so, be interesting to hear y'all's thoughts on on how we address these issues of life. But uh, we understand that each person, each child, has to choose the path. But how do we help them choose the right path? Do we understand that we bear responsibility if we lead a child astray? In other words, like I said, they each have to choose. But we do have influence for good, for bad. And we bear responsibility for if we lead a child astray. I'd like to give a little illustration. There at home, we got a few cows there to keep the grass down around the barns and we have some net wire fence, we have some bob wire fence, and we have some electrical fence. 
And you know the the barbed wire and the net wire fence is a physical barrier. In other words, they can just hardly get through those fences because of the physical barrier. The electrical fence would be much easier for them to get through physically, but it's a psychological barrier because of the results if they hit that fence. Well, you know, the physical barriers are a lot more, a lot harder to put in, a lot harder to move. Hot fence, because of them being trained to hot fence, I can open up the gate out on the pond levees just take a hot tape and put from one pond to the other and they won't go through that hot tape because they think it's hot. It's not even hot. It's a psychological barrier. In our homes, we also have fences. And thinking about Fresh Start, uh, our brother that was there, it was almost like he was in a chain link fence. In other words, he didn't have a phone. He couldn't call except a few people. He couldn't get in his vehicle and go uptown. You know, it was it was where he couldn't hardly mess up because he was inside a physical barrier, so to speak, where there was an opportunity to mess up. But the resources have to come in from the outside. In other words, somebody has to support the program. Someone has to the resources need to come from without. You can't hardly go within that chain link fence and go on with life. And as Christians, we need our resources going out, not that we have to be supported and, and the resources coming in. And so how do we go about living and stay within a safe, zone, keep our family within a safe zone, and yet be where we can function in life and where we can teach our children to function in life, and where there can be barriers that are uh, almost physical barriers. In other words, there's things we don't allow in our home, television being one thing, we, we haven't allowed television in our home. And so they don't have access to it. But then to have a psychological barrier that when they go out and about, that there's things, no, we don't cross this boundary. It's, it's, this is a place we don't cross, even though they actually could. So that's a challenge I think we face as families and as a church is how tight do we make our barriers and how do we teach our people our children that when they're outside of that physical barrier that they can be like Joseph and say how can I commit this sin against God and be able to follow God even when they are outside the fence so to speak I don't know the answer to all these questions, but God does have directions for us. I'd like to go to 1 Peter and read some verses there. 1 Peter 1, starting at verse 17. 
And I would like to read through chapter 2, verse 3. 1 Peter 1, verse 17. And if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Forasmuch as you know that ye are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in us, manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye ha- see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of men as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, and all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Going back to verse 18 and 19 there, it talks about that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. You know, we cannot find our way with God through external means. You know, we can build whatever fences we want. We can infuse all kinds of works. But verse 19, we are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And John 14:6 says, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Yes, the point I want to make here is we have to have a clear vision that we cannot do enough for salvation. It comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, what is our responsibility beyond that and after that? And that's the things that we, but I just want to get the, the shoe on the right foot there. Um, <clears throat> And so we know that accepting Christ as our Savior is the only way we can say, be saved. So how do we help our children take that step? In other words, how do these children are born, little little children? They're not at the age of accountability. We don't uh, we don't wait till they're feeling God's call to start nurturing them to be ready to accept God's call. Said already, I think the Old Testament law gives us a picture of how we should teach our children. No, was this a, the Old Testament was an external law to hold them into place, 
But it didn't save them. It took, it took the death of Jesus to save them. And you know, our children, we can teach them to be a Christian. And I think that's good. As they're little, we teach them not to lie, not to cheat, be kind. We basically teach them to be a Christian. But it doesn't make them a Christian, does it? In other words, they have to accept Jesus as their Savior. But if we have taught them externally, taught them how to be a Christian, how to follow God, then when it comes to that time that the Holy Spirit speak to their heart and they realize they've got a sin problem they can accept Christ as their savior and continue their walk in the newness of the spirit instead of the letter of the law and not have a whole bunch of baggage back here and a whole bunch of regrets and a whole bunch of things habits that they've learned that they are having to deal with and so I think it's a good thing for us to teach our children to be a Christian, we just have to understand that doesn't make them one. I'd like to go to Ephesians 5, thinking about how to teach our children to prepare them to want to choose Christ when they come to that stage of life. Ephesians 5, starting at verse 22, and reading through the first four verses of Ephesians 6. 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savor of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, Unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Do we have that kind of love for our wives that Christ did for the church that he loved us and gave his life for us even when we were unworthy? And, and one of the things that make the home so sacred is is the parallel between Christ and the church. But going on here of how the husband and wife should relate to each other. Verse 26, That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies, He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man yet ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, 
Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We see here that when Daddy loves Mom, Mom trusts and respects Dad, it makes a peaceful home. Children do not come already trained. But uh, what are things that help a child to be obedient? The home should be a safe place. You know, when we go out and about, we expect to be barraged. But home should be an oasis. And I don't know why it is that, for me as a dad anyway, it was... You know, we go out with other people and we PR with them and we're nice and all that. We come home to our families and we just kind of are ourselves and we, it's pretty easy just to lay things down and, and just say it like it is. And, and our family is where we need to protect the most, much more than those out around us. And yet, uh, it's so easy to do damage in our homes. Do we view mistakes as teaching opportunities? If I make a mistake, do I see that as an opportunity to teach how I should respond? If my children make a mistake, and you know, my our children are, are gone. They're, they're raised. They're, it's the next generation. We have grandchildren now. But for those of you that have children that you're teaching growing up, when they make a mistake, is or is it? This is an opportunity to to teach something. And um, obedient, an obedient child has learned to listen. And listening is such a crucial thing in child raising. I remember telling our children growing up, you're going to have to learn to listen. If you don't learn to listen here at home, you're going to run into trouble at school. If you don't learn at school, you're going to run in trouble at church. If you don't learn at church, you're going to run in trouble at your job. If you don't learn there, be with the law. And finally, if you don't learn there in the judgment, you will learn to listen. But that's too late. And so the earlier in, in that chain that you learn to listen, the better it works for everybody involved. You know, once a child's learned to listen, the discipline's kind of over. I mean, if you can talk about this and correct, is, uh, so how do we get a child to listen? But, uh, like I say, when a child's obedient, they, they've learned on that. But some things to, how to teach them that is a consistent instruction, example, affirmation, for a good response, discipline for wrong response. Those are some suggestions. There'd be many other ways that you may have, uh, but getting a child to listen. Now I'd like to switch to the child's part there in, or where it talks about in four there. Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. What, what's he mean there about, why does he give a warning? In other words, he's telling children to be obedient, to honor their parents, 
that it may be well with them. But now you fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. This suggests it could be a problem. And, uh, you know, what are some of the things that could provoke a child to anger? Uh, just some suggestions here is unresolved conflict. In other words, if things hadn't been settled, there's unresolved conflict. can bring anger. Toxic communication. We reply, but it's loaded. Inconsistency. Anger. And one thing I say about anger, a lot of times when anger happens, it's it's a time when there needs to be confrontation. It's it's when there's instruction needed, but it gets out of hand. And you know, I used to raise hogs, and you get the hogs out there in a two-foot alley to try to get them loaded on the truck, and we used a hot stick. It was very helpful to get them to move. But you know, I put 45 pigs on the trailer. If you get on that back pig and just shock him to, to make all these go, uh, that last pig's probably gonna be provoked to anger. Uh, cause he's got all these obstacles ahead of him and, and, but you know, if you go to where the problem is and you use the hot stick as needed, not not just hold it on them. You know, it moves things and you can move back through here. And so, you know, when, when, a, when you're down in a situation that you can't really do anything and somebody holds the hot stick on you, it just, it just doesn't feel good. And we can do that with our children. And, you know, there's probably a need for confrontation. There's a need for prodding to come along. But let's use it with discretion and not anger. Another thing that can provoke the anger is neglect or betrayal of trust. Just to recap here, our children should not be afraid of us, yet have respect. We should try hard to be fair yet teach that life's not always fair. You know, we'd like to get it right, but life has curveballs. Be willing to say I'm sorry when I messed up. Lead by example. Spoke to that some before, but... Are we okay with our children using the words that we use? I remember hearing my children say some things that I realized I had said, and it didn't sound the same coming from them, but I said. Feel condemned. Are we okay with them acting as we act? Thinking like we think. Are we comfortable with telling our children, follow me as I follow Christ? You know, that's a blessing if our children, if, if we, if they do look just like we do, they'll get there. 
I'd like to speak a bit on the principle of delayed gratification. I think we do well to teach our children that principle. Jesus speaks to that principle in Matthew 6 when he talks about praying and giving alms. He said, you know, you can pray and you can receive the honor now and not get it later. Or else you can pray in secret or do alms in secret and get your reward later. And it's going to be a bigger reward. In other words, that principle of delayed gratification, do you want it now at a smaller dose or wait for the for the results, I mean for the reward, and get a bigger one later? Also he talks about lay up lay not up treasures on earth but in heaven. In other words, we have the opportunity to try to hoard as many treasures here as we can, or we can forward those into kingdom work and into heaven. So, thinking about how to keep our children from needing help from places like Fresh Start, Shepherd's Fold, places like this, one of the challenges is teaching our children, in other words, one of the challenges we face is the age of accountability and curiosity for the forbidden often kind of come at the same time. And so, you know, it's not like they have been, have accepted Christ and are wanting to follow Him, but uh, there's a period of time there where, where this can kind of get all muddled. But we do well to teach our children young the principle of delayed gratification. This teaches self-discipline. This principle can help a child wait on God's timing rather than being involved in lustful practices. Something, I guess, has come to me in the latter years here, but I... I, with a lot more clarity, I think we need to have a good grasp on that sexual experience outside of marriage are not simply a preview of a sexual experience within marriage. Sometimes it seems like people that just can't hold their self they just think it's like marriage, but it's not. God's ways are, well, we leave the Lord's ways, it's downhill. And we need to understand that God designed sexual things only, 100% only, for between a husband and a wife. And that clarifies a lot of things. So, if it's not between a husband and wife, it's wrong. Not with another man, another woman, yourself, self-abuse, with a child, pornography, romance, novels that stir up feelings. These are not mine to enjoy. Any of these things are sin. We need to understand that. So, let's go to 2 Corinthians and um, 
talks there, gives some instructions on this when we have Christ in us. And I appreciated the, the thoughts there. Second Corinthians 4. Starting verse 7 and reading through verse 18. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And what treasure is it's talking about? If we back up in the previous six verses, it's talking about Jesus. In other words, accepting Jesus as our Savior. And we have Him, His Holy Spirit, the Gospel within us. When we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not with us. In other words, when we accept Christ as our Savior, and we have His Holy Spirit within us, that gives a power that's beyond us. And it's that way for our children, too. If we can bring them to salvation, and they have His Holy Spirit within them. Then, verse 8, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. As we go through life, are we crucified with Christ? Is the carnal desires, the carnal parts that want to raise up, are those daily crucified? that we show Jesus in our lives. Verse 11, For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We, having the same spirit of faith, according as is written, I believe, and therefore have I spoken, we also believe, and therefore speak knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might be through the thanksgiving of many rebound unto the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. There's strength there when we're renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is for, for, but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Is our focus on the temporal things of life or the eternal things of life? so much easier to focus on the things right around us that we see but the eternal things are from beyond this life so as children when as parents when our children have accepted Christ and they desire to follow him and and we want to help them along <clears throat> let's be sensitive to their needs are they at peace? Do they have an open face? Or is it troubled? 
Be available. Make it easy to communicate with your children. I asked someone who had been involved in moral failure for input on this subject. In other words, what, uh, what does he wish he'd have done differently growing up? What did he wish his parents would have done differently? And what did he wish that his church would have done differently? And there could be many answers out there, but his answer was this. He wished that his dad would have been more involved in his life. Would have given him more teaching on sexual things. Ask more, how's it going? So that's the advice of one person who has struggles in his life. This morning I'd like to speak to three groups of people here. First of all, for children here who have never felt the call of God on their life. You haven't felt the Holy Spirit calling you to yourself. Enjoy this time of life. It's a beautiful time of life, the innocence of a child. But honor your parents. Listen to your conscience. And how do you know when something that you should or shouldn't do something If it's something that brings guilt feelings, don't do it. Talk to your parents about it if you need help. If it's something that you don't want anybody to see you doing, if uh, you and someone else are tempted to do things and you don't want anybody else to find out, that's a huge red flag. Don't, don't do those things. The next group I'd like to speak to is those of you that if there would be anyone here that has felt God's call on your life, you've realized you've got a sin problem, but you haven't accepted him as your Savior. Come to Jesus. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Yoke with Jesus is wonderful. Consider what would happen if you died tonight. The wages of sin are death. And then for those of us who have accepted Christ as our Savior, where are we at in our personal lives? Are we living with our hands turned up, transparent? Or do we have vices that we know are not God honoring. I think of that song that says, There's a room in my heart that even I don't go. Things hidden there, don't want anyone to know. I don't know if I can get it all right, but you know, that's where Jesus wants to be in those hidden places of our heart. And if we have those places, let's open them up to Him. Jesus is kind, 
He gives us freedom of choice, but he doesn't give us freedom of consequence. I hope there's no one here that feels betrayed by those they should have been able to trust, but I realize that's a possibility. Likely we've all experienced disappointments and hurts, and as rough as that is, we each are still accountable for our own actions. Even though someone wronged us, we aren't hostage to that. We have to, our response is what we have to answer for. We need to realize that though forgiveness is not fair, it's the path to freedom. Put your hand in Jesus' hand. In closing, I'd like to go to Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 14 through 18. Verse 14. But as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Are we led by the Spirit of God? If we are, we are the sons of God. Isn't that beautiful? For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Isn't it wonderful to be adopted by Jesus? And the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Can we feel oneness with His Spirit that we are the children of God? And what's the result of that? And if children, then heirs, heirs to God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Isn't that wonderful? And then 3 John 1, 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. That's all I have here this morning, but let's help our children in their walk of life. We're in a journey. We're in a battle. Let's fight the battle. Let's kneel for prayer. Dear Father in heaven, as we come before you this morning at the close of this service, we just commit our ways to you, Lord. We just pray for each one of us here that we would just look to you for all the answers and the questions of our lives. We just thank you that you have made a way, that you have given instruction, and that we can live in victory in our lives because of what you have offered us. I just pray for the children here that you would protect them, that you would put a hedge about them, that they could be protected from the evil one. I pray for the parents here, that they could help their children find the right path, that they could help them to find their way and their choices with you. And the grandparents, that they could help their children, their grandchildren, to honor you and to glorify you. Be with the church here, that they can guide and direct the ones that come here from Sunday to Sunday and to interact 
you give direction and guidance. And Lord, we just need your help and your direction so much in our lives. Fill us with your love and your spirit. In your name we ask it. Amen.